Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, depending on what time it is, where you are. So today, we are going to share some articles from the June 2017 Fraternal Review, and this is the Southern California Research Lodge magazine. And the title of this magazine, or this episode, or issue of the magazine, is called Grand Lodge Origins, Rivalries and Union, How It All Came to Be. So, let's start off with the cover story. Rival Grand Lodges Eventually Unite. That masonry is composed of average human beings is demonstrated in the so-called Great Schism of the English Grand Lodges in 1751. It will be recalled that the Mother Grand Lodge was organized in London in 1717. As the years passed, there developed among the member lodges some differences of opinion concerning certain fundamentals of the craft. As a result, in 1751, there occurred what has erroneously been called the Great Schism, when some of the dissenters pulled away from the parent body and organized a new Grand Lodge, which was called the Grand Lodge of the Ancients. Paradoxically, the first Grand Lodge became known as the Moderns. These two bodies operated separately until 1813. The Union of 1813, which united the Moderns and the Ancients, is proof of the power of the mystic tie to draw its votaries together again in the common cause of brotherly love. It was impossible that trifling differences should keep men of goodwill apart. So next we move into an article called Masonic Pioneers, Two Forefathers of Masonry. Henry Price, a forefather of Grand Lodge Masonry in America. Henry Price's earliest connections with Masonry are only partially known. His name appears on the records of the Grand Lodge of England in 1730 as a member of Lodge 75. It is probable that he was made a Mason before he first came to America, inasmuch as there is no record of his having returned to England prior to 1733. On April 30, 1733, in London, he was granted a deputation as Provincial Grand Master of New England, doubtless receiving it from the hand of Thomas Babson Esquire, then Deputy Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of England. In 1730, Daniel Cox of New Jersey had been appointed Provincial Grand Master of New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. This was the first authority given for the assembling of Freemasons in America. There is no record to show that Cox exercised this authority. Returning to Boston, Henry Price, by virtue of his appointment as Provincial Grand Master of New England on July 30, 1733, organized the Grand Lodge and immediately afterward, on the same date, instituted the First Lodge of Boston, St. John's. Price, by thus exercising his authority, is recognized as the founder of duly constituted masonry in America. For nearly half a century, he kept up his Masonic activities, and to the end of his days on earth, he was a faithful member of the Grand Lodge, usually in attendance upon its session and often called upon to fill vacant chairs. Benjamin Franklin was an intimate personal friend of Henry Price. It was to him that Price issued his first warrant to establish a lodge in Philadelphia. Correspondence between these two is still preserved in the records, revealing their affection and close friendship for each other. Price's successors as Grand Master of Massachusetts include such zealous and active patriots as Paul Revere, 
Joseph Warren, John Hancock, and James Otis. And the next Masonic pioneer is Thomas Smith Webb, a forefather of American ritual. Thomas Smith Webb, the founding father of the York or American Rite, as he is appropriately described by Herbert T. Leyland, his biographer, was born October 30, 1771, in Boston. He holds the rare distinction of being actively connected with the formation of two large national Masonic bodies, York Rite and Knights Templar, testimony to the respect in which he was held by his Masonic brethren. His Masonic career was fully as extensive and varied. While he received his initial Masonic education in Rising Sun Lodge, Keene, New Hampshire, at age 19, it was in Albany and Providence that most of his activities and contributions occurred. Leyland describes him as a Freemason, musician, and entrepreneur, and without question, he earned each of those titles. At Albany, at age 26, he authored his Freemason's Monitor or Illustrations of Masonry, a literary work that ultimately went to seven editions. It brought international fame to the author and became the standard of ritual exemplification for many jurisdictions. It was a compendium of many of the writings of William Preston of England, a man who devoted a lifetime of service to the craft in the study and perfection of Masonic lectures. His reputation was well known when he moved to Providence in 1799, and he was soon taken into the life of the community. As a member of a Rhode Island lodge, he was eligible to attend Grand Lodge, and on his first visit, he was appointed a member of a committee to revise the constitutions. He served as Grand Master in 1813 and 1814. Webb also provided the ritual and ceremonial procedure of the Templar Orders and was elected its first eminent commander. He was elected annually until 1814 when he declined re-election. In 1805, with others, he organized the now Grand Commandery of Massachusetts in Rhode Island and presided therein until he re retired in 1817. Now, the next couple of pages in the in the magazine here are uh, really not much to speak to because it's mainly pictorial. It's symbols of different Grand Lodges and then an explanation of them. So without being able to actually look at them as you, you hear this, it kind of makes it a little harder to do. So I'm going to try to get a link to this issue and put it in the show notes. Uh, but then we'll move on to Ancients and Moderns in American History by Alexander Horn. It is perhaps natural that a rivalry between the ancients and the moderns should have existed in American masonry in the 18th century, parallel with the similar rivalry that existed between these two factions in the British Isles during the same period. There, as is commonly known, a union was as at last effected in 1813, and henceforth those who called themselves the ancients and those whom they despairingly gave the appellation of moderns agreed to work in harmony and uniformity under a common constitution and government. What is not generally known is that in the American colonies, a similar union between the rival factions took place some 21 years prior to the Union of 1813 in the mother country. Benjamin Franklin tells us in his Pennsylvania Gazette of several lodges of Freemasons erected in this province as early as 1730, acting no doubt by immemorial right, but the first Masonic lodge to be regularly warranted in this country was in 1733 in Boston under the authority of the original Grand Lodge of England that of the moderns. A Grand Lodge in Boston was instituted shortly thereafter, and it in turn granted warrants in various parts of the American colonies, who thus continued working under the original constitution of the moderns. But in 1752, a Lodge Charter was granted by the Grand Lodge of Scotland to a few Scotch Masons in Boston, and in 1769, a Grand Lodge was duly organized, working like its mother Grand Lodge of Scotland, 
under what was at that time known to be the rival title of the ancients, and claiming to be more faithful to the ancient forms than the moderns had shown themselves to be. This new Grand Lodge similarly granted charters to subordinate lodges in the various colonies, working side by side with the pre-existing lodges of the moderns. These two rival Grand Lodges continued to work separately, but in the same territories. The term exclusive territorial jurisdiction had not been invented. Until 1792, each working according to its own lights, and therefore differently, and without mutual recognition and fraternal intercourse. The episode, however, was not without its lighter moments. There was, for instance, a lodge at Falmouth, now Portland, Maine, which in 1772 resolved for harmony's sake to work the modern and ancient systems alternately every other evening. In 1792, however, the two Grand Lodges in Massachusetts came together and formed what came to be known as the Grand Lodge of Most Ancient and Honorable Society of Free and Accepted Masons for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And similar moves to unite the rival Grand Lodges were made in other jurisdictions wherever the rivalry existed. Steps were also soon taken to harmonize the work and produce a uniform system based largely on the work of Thomas Smith Webb, who produced his Freemason's Monitor in 1797, based in turn on William Preston's illustrations of masonry, 1772. As far as the craft degrees are concerned, but with the addition of the Royal Arch and Concordant degrees, all of which is now known in this country as the York Rite, more correctly, but less commonly referred to also as the American Rite. The early introduction of masonry into the American colonies so soon after the erection of the first Grand Lodge in 1717 and the birth of modern Freemasonry is of particular interest. So the next article is called One Lodge or Fifty, George Washington and the American Doctrine, written by John L. Cooper III, who is past Grand Master, past Grand Secretary here in California. Many Masons know that President George Washington was a Mason and that he served as the master of Alexandria Lodge No. 22, now Alexandria Washington Lodge No. 22, in Alexandria, Virginia, while serving as President of the United States. What many do not know is that there was a movement to make him the Grand Master of a Grand Lodge of the United States of America, which would have merged all the individual state Grand Lodges into one national organization. President Washington turned down this offer, and thus no National Grand Lodge ever came into existence. It may have been one of the best gifts that our brother George Washington gave to American Freemasonry. Before the American Revolution, lodges in the 13 colonies owed allegiance to one of three different Grand Lodges. They held charters from one of two Grand Lodges in England, either the Moderns or the Ancients, or from the Grand Lodge of Scotland. The Grand Lodge of Ireland also chartered some lodges in connection with military and naval units, and one such lodge was later the source of Prince Hall Freemasonry. When the Treaty of Paris was signed in 1783, recognizing the American colonies as independent states, new Grand Lodges were quickly organized in each of the former English colonies. These state Grand Lodges absorbed the lodges within their boundaries and became the source of legitimate Freemasonry in the United States. But just as each state was jealous of its own prerogatives as a sovereign unit in the emerging United States of America, so these 13 Grand Lodges jealously guarded their own sovereignty in the world of Freemasonry. It was from this beginning that Freemasonry developed in America, with each new state forming its own Grand Lodge. Eventually, there were 51 Grand Lodges in the United States, one for each state and one for the District of Columbia. The consequences of this development were enormous, not only for American Freemasonry, but for Freemasonry in general. Before the 13 state Grand Lodges were created, it was uncertain how a new Grand Lodge could be created. 
That question was settled as far as the United States was concerned, and this had, the, had an impact on the rest of the Masonic world. A new Grand Lodge in the United States was formed when five regular lodges from a variety of other state Grand Lodges surrendered the charters from their original Grand Lodges and then bound themselves together in a new Grand Lodge. This principle prevented arguments as to which Grand Lodge should control the lodges in the new states as they were added to the Union, and permanently settled the question of the legitimacy of these new Grand Lodges. The problems which had plagued Grand Lodges in Europe about the authority of new lodges to govern themselves had been solved. All that was required was that the lodges in an emerging state agree to form a new Grand Lodge, and that settled the question. The Grand Lodges which had issued the original charters to form lodges in the new territories and states no longer had any say over the lodges which they had created. This peculiarly American doctrine of how Grand Lodges are created is still one of the best models in the world. It leaves the power to form new Grand Lodges in the hands of the lodges themselves, and recognizes the rights of lodges to choose their new home. This power was exercised by five lodges in California on April 19, 1850, when they met to form the Grand Lodge of California. Each of these lodges held a charter or dispensation from a Grand Lodge back east, but there was never a question as to whether they had the right to surrender their charters to the Grand Lodge which had created them and to receive a charter from the newly formed Grand Lodge of California. In contemporary language, these lodges exercised their privileges in a democracy to become independent and to form an independent Grand Lodge which would meet the, their unique needs in a new environment. Nothing could be more American than this freedom of choice, and it should be all credited to President George Washington. He believed in the uniqueness of Freemasonry as much as he believed in the uniqueness of the United States of America. By turning down the offer to make him General Grand Master of the United States of America, he guaranteed the harmony that is a salient characteristic of American Freemasonry to this day. The Grand Lodge of Free and Accepted Masons of the State of California is the result of this wise decision on the part of our first president. In addition to being the father of his country, Brother George Washington is the father of American Freemasonry. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.